Well, if you don't know, my name is Darian, and this is Brittany. <laughs> and uh, we are the campus pastors here at Love and Truth South. Uh, we've been campus pastors for two and a half years now. Before that, we were the youth pastors slash executive pastors slash assistant pastor slash media pastor slash worship pastors. <laughs> and so we've been here for a while, and we're excited to, to be here tonight. We're excited that you're here. Uh, if, you're, if you're family tonight, it's good to see you. If you're a guest tonight, it's good to have you. Thank you for being with us. Um, but hopefully you came tonight expecting something. Expecting, even if it's not your question that gets answered tonight, even if you didn't, you weren't here last week, even if you didn't write a question down, hopefully there's something in this tonight that relates to you, that speaks to you in your life. And so I'm excited about that. So we're just going to get started. How about that? All right. So this is going to be more like a conversation tonight. So what that means is if, if you kind of, if you feel something, you can still say amen. I know I'm not going to be preaching and yelling and, and spitting all over the place, but you can still communicate, all right? Please communicate. Please say amen. Come on, say that. No. <laughs> there, you go. <laughs> there you go. And so I'm going to open this up with the first question. The first question is this. Why do I continuously have doubts about my faith? Why do we continuously have doubts about our faith? You got anything off the top? Yeah, I guess. Um, we had a campus pastors meeting last night, and Pastor Jeff, who was kind of the interim pastor here for a little bit, had a devotional about faith, and he put it in a way I've not really heard it before. And I've, that's actually what I was thinking about during worship is because um, I have trouble with my faith a lot doubting and then I feel bad for doubting but last night Pastor Jeff said that you work for your faith you work hard for the faith that you have in God by reading the word by praying by worshiping and you don't really want to give that up because you do work hard for that because it says faith without works is dead you've got to work for it and I lost my train of thought so you go while I find it that's good that's good my my biggest thing about that is we have to admit that we all have doubts about our faith. Yeah. Like, we have to be real about that. And that's why you may think, wow, the pastors got up here and, and said that they start. Yes, yes, we did. Because we all do, because you do. And we can't pretend and put on a facade that we all have this unshakable faith, although we should, although we should strive for that. We have to be real about the fact that there are sometimes doubts. But here's what faith is. Faith is not the absence of doubt. Faith is trust in God in the middle of doubt. And so when you're facing doubt, when you have doubt creeping at the door, I talked about this a few weeks ago. Um, I, I preached a sermon series on Sundays entitled uh, Battle Ready and how we're in a fight spiritually and we have to fight, just like Pastor Brittany just said. We have to fight for our faith. And the reason I talked about that is because when doubt knocks at the door, the, Bi the Bible says in Ephesians uh, chapter 6, verse 13 through 16, it talks about the armor of God. And it says specifically, before it goes into the articles of the armor, it says this. It says, when the day of evil comes, underline the fact that it says when, not if, not maybe, but when the day of evil comes. What's the day of evil? The day of evil is when anything, temptation, knocks at the door. When doubt knocks at the door, that's the day of evil. And so we have to make sure that doubt may knock at the door, but it doesn't get to come in the house. We can open the door, and when we open the door, faith answers. And so we don't need to think that just because, I just want to set somebody free tonight. 
Because doubts are a part of life. It's a part of our human nature. But that's why our faith grows in strength. Because the, strong, the longer we walk with God, the more we trust God, the more we depend on him, that's when our faith grows. And that's why you can look at certain people in your life and think, wow, I can't wait. Or I just wish I had the amount of faith that they had. They didn't start there. That's what I was going to say. Um, I was kind of thinking of it like it's muscle memory. When you are a new Christian, you've got to build that faith. And a good way for me is I have affirmations. Even when I was a teenager, my youth pastor gave me a list of affirmations, just scriptures. I specifically remember Philippians 4, the whole thing, whatever's pure, whatever's noble, whatever's holy, think on those things. And, you know, it it seems tedious at first to just say the same scripture over and over again. But as a new Christian, it's kind of your muscle memory because when you're having doubts at that point, it clicks when you have it down in your spirit or when you have a prayer or you have a doubt. Another thing I do is if I have negative thoughts, I automatically pray in the Holy Spirit. And at first, you know, I was like, why am I doing this? It's tedious. I'm doing it every time. But it's your muscle memory because then when, you, when something really dark comes in your way or you feel like you're in a really dark spot, it's there. You have it down in your spirit. You can't start off lifting 400 pounds. You can try. You'll throw up. <laughs> You'll hurt yourself. Break something. But what happens is you have to start lifting 60 pounds. And you don't just lift it one time and then graduate to 75 and then graduate. No, you have to lift that same weight over and over and over again and build that muscle. And then eventually your faith grows. And so just know the doubts are normal. Everybody has those doubts. It's how you respond to doubt that's important. And you have to say, no devil, no enemy, no doubt, no fear, no anxiety, not today. My heart, my mind is focused on God. We can't let the enemy, we can't let fear and anxiety cripple us. It's real, Let's, but we can't talk about it. it. It is real, but we have to make sure that faith answers the door. Is that good? I had one more thing, okay, sorry. Go ahead, go ahead. Um, and maybe this will challenge you tonight. Sometimes you won't believe what you say. Sometimes you won't believe in your heart that that scripture is real because you've been through so much that you don't believe it, but you still have to speak it because that's God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So the more you say it, the more it gets down in your spirit and it becomes truth. Amen. Amen. Next question is this. And again, we, we didn't have people put their names on this so that you had, um, you could stay anonymous so you could ask really a true heart question. And so if at any point tonight we come across some questions that are very deep, we did that on purpose because God is deep. And he wants to speak to the depth in us. And so this next question is, is why do I find it so challenging to devote my time to God and his word? Um, because it's a challenge. Especially today. Especially today. Because you've got Netflix, you've got your phone, you've got Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. You've got all of these distractions. You've got all of these things that are fighting for your attention. So it is a challenge. But what you have to do is you have to value the word of God. You have to value that devotional time and set it aside or you'll never get there. And so it is a challenge. But that's, that goes right in hand in hand with what we were saying. That It's a muscle that you don't start off praying an hour a day. You can try. You might do it once. But if you haven't built up, if you haven't disciplined yourself in prayer. Look, you can start with just a prayer before bed if you're not already doing that. When you wake up in the morning, say a prayer, read a script. But that's the thing. We have all these distractions, but it's never the word of God has never been more available than it is today. You can get on Spotify. You can get on iTunes. You can get on YouTube. If you have trouble with the scripture sometimes, go listen to a sermon. Now, here's the important thing. Don't just listen to sermons. 
Make sure that when you hear those sermons, when someone is used by God, you are to take it and test it against the word. And so if you just listen to sermons all the time by your favorite preachers on YouTube or on K-Love, that's okay, but it's not good in the long term. Like you can go on a fad diet and you may see results, but it's not a good, it's not a good idea for the long term, right? Like, yeah, you can, you can stop eating everything but meat or everything but vegetables, but you're going to miss proteins. You're going to miss nutrients if you don't do something that is a lifestyle change. And so you have to start small. Does that, that make sense? Okay. The best thing I ever did was this year, actually, I started a 52-week devotional that has daily readings. And I've tried in the past. That's always my New Year's resolution. I'm going to read the Bible in a year. And I, ne- I always stop in like February or March. Well, this year in March, we had a pandemic. So I didn't really have anything else to do other than read my Bible. So I've stuck to it. It's September and I've stuck to it. And it's really been the best thing. So that kind of goes with how, why it's challenging. We'll get in the Word every day. Amen. The next question is, why is the church becoming so much like the world? That's a pretty good question. We, we have to, what we have to do with that question is we have, to, we have to keep asking it because what I would dare say is, is something I've said before. We, Christianity, our faith is not, it's not a subculture. I talked about this very recently. It's a counterculture. So what we have to understand is that though there may be things that we do, it's not the church always becoming like the world. What we have to know is that we live in the world, but we're not of the world. That's what the word says. We're still here. We're just not from here. And this isn't our home. And so what we have to understand is just like the Apostle Paul says in the New Testament, he says that I became all things to all men so that I could reach them for the gospel. And so if you've got questions about, and this is a good question, and this is something that every generation has got to stop and make sure that we're not becoming so much like the world that we look no different. But we also have to make sure that we're reaching the people of the world through the mediums and through the ways that will best reach them. Because the the same methods that were used in 1879 will not reach people for Jesus today. I I dare say, look, we we all agree technology is advancing. Trends are changing. Not instead of every decade, they're changing every two weeks. And so what we have to make sure we do is our medium, the method, changes, but the medium does not. The, 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 the thing, the substance never changes. Though we may sing different songs and they may, have, they may have loud drums in them, are we singing good theology? Are we singing the Bible? Are we singing about Jesus Christ? Because that's where the difference is. And we also have to make sure that we don't just look like the world and have no fruit. Because a lot of times what happens is we look so much like the world that we can't change the world. And you can't change the world if you look just like it. So that's a good question. So while we may, you know, we may dress different, we may look different, we may present the gospel in a new way, a more modern way, it's still the gospel. And if we ever get away from that, we're in trouble. If we ever get away from that, we're in trouble. Does that make sense? Good question. Good question. Yeah. Was that your question? (laughs) All right. The next question is this. Why are creatives not coming to the church? Um, they are and they aren't. And what that means, why are creatives, why are, not, why are people who are creative um, with music, who are creative with, with uh, uh, photography and videography and, 
or just creative people in general, artists, painters, dancers, people. I think, I think part of that is, it goes to that question that we just talked about. Part of that is the church hasn't made them welcome. And so that's what happens when you don't make people feel welcome or you, because if you think about it, the Renaissance years, the greatest artist of, the, 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 of history were working with the church, not against the church. But somewhere along the lines, religion made people who were creative and who asked more questions and who had more talent feel like they were, like they were separate from the church. Think about that. In all of history, not all of history, but in large portions of history, the church led culture. Somewhere along the line, it split. And so we have to make sure that we make creatives feel comfortable. And not only that, that we give them avenues to be creative. And I'll say this, this is kind of, if you have something, you interrupt me. Um, If there's something I learned at a very young age in ministry, but not, not just for ministry, for life, was when we first came to South Campus, um, uh, Pastor Chris and Tammy were the campus pastors here, and the very first time I, I preached in the back in GP for youth for youth group, but I'd never preached up here on this stage, and I was super nervous. Although I was putting on a good front, I was super nervous. And that first Wednesday night, I, my biggest fear was not that I'd do terribly, but it was that I'd mess something up and I wouldn't be able to do it again. Like I didn't think I was going to do terrible. I just thought that if I did do something wrong, I'd never get the opportunity again. And uh, something Pastor Tammy said to me, because she could tell I was kind of nervous, she said, uh, she said, are you nervous? I said, no, I'm not nervous. I'm good. <laughs> and she said, well, if you are, if you mess up, you'll still get to do it again. But I was afraid that there was a culture where I couldn't be myself, where I couldn't be creative. And what we have to do in the church and in our, if, look, if you're a manager, if you're a boss, if you're a business owner, you have to create a culture where people who are creative can try things. Because if you never let people try or you make people feel like they have to be perfect 100% of the time, you will never, ever, ever encounter creativity. And so if you're in, in your workplace, if you feel like constantly your boss is only worried about you being perfect and never messing up and, and your boss is too afraid to let you try new things. Look, we're in a crisis as a nation, as a, as a globe. And we have to understand that it's in crisis where creativity has to begin to flow. And that's in the church. We're not going to be able to look. Churches are still shut down in parts of America. And so we have to be what? Creative if we're going to still reach people for the gospel, for Jesus. And so we have to make, I hope, I hope that's tracking right. I hope that that's making sense. We have to make creatives feel welcome. But also creatives, when they come into the church, they have to understand that it, the church does not need to be this separate thing. You can be creative in the church, and you can use your gifts for God. That, that's kind of a double-edged sword, I guess. I hope I answered that question. Do you have anything to add to that? Okay. The next question is, oh, let's do this one right here. Why is the enemy suddenly attacking my family? Why, after so many years of my parents serving in ministry, does it seem they are being torn down daily? We're going deep. If you feel like the enemy, the devil, Satan, is suddenly attacking your family, I believe he overplays his hands every time. 
And so what that means is maybe, I don't know, I don't know who wrote this, maybe your family has, has been faithful in the past. Maybe you've made a fresh commitment. Maybe you've started serving the Lord uh, in, a, in a deeper way, in a stronger way. I don't, I don't know what the situation is, but I, I would say the enemy always overplays his hands. And the reason I say that is because he knows that God is up to something in your life. He knows that God is up to something in your parents' life. I don't know how long they served or where they served in ministry, but let me tell you something. The enemy is aware of those who he's afraid of. If you haven't had a run-in with the enemy lately, you're probably going the same direction. And so what that means is if the enemy's attacking you, it's time to turn up the devotion. It's time to turn up the prayer. It's time to talk to people of faith and ask them for prayer. Come on, we've got to share things. And look, you don't have to share. I heard something a long time ago. Uh, it's not wise to share wounds, but it's, it is wise to share scars. Because if you share a wound too soon, if you take the bandage off of it, it can get infected. And so sometimes you have to heal before you can start sharing what God, and, and think about that. If somebody starts sharing something that is too deep of a wound too soon, it almost makes you scared. It almost sets you back on your heels a little bit. But if there's time and there's healing that takes place, now it's a scar. And so now there's no more pain. It may be sensitive, but there's no more pain there, and it's been healed. And now it's a testimony to healing. And so I guess the way that that, the way that, that relates is it, you do need to share when you're walking through things. You do need to share when you're, when, when you're needing prayer, when the enemy's attacking, um, and don't feel like you have to keep those things. Th- those aren't necessarily wounds. Those are, those are trials. Those are tests. Those are, those are moments when, like we talked about a moment ago, the day of evil comes, which is the day where you're under attack. It's the day where you feel like the enemy's knocking at your door, where you have to get people around you who are going to build you up and not tear you down. And you need to get people around you who are people of faith, who are people of encouragement, people who will protect you. And then you'll start to see that thing shift. But you, you also have to, you have to walk in victory. Um, it kind of goes with what you said. Um, what I see, why, or after so many years of my parents serving, they're being torn down daily. Well, in my opinion, the number one thing that the enemy wants to do is isolate you and get you alone. And to me, that seems like you're in this new stage you're getting closer to God, so you're getting isolated in that way, and maybe it seems that your parents kind of aren't on the same path as you. That's when you, I would say, you're turning up your prayer and your devotion, but you're resting because you know God is God, and he's going to take care of them. But what you need to do, instead of being offended at your parents or being upset at your parents because it seems like they're not on the right path, you pray for them every day, and you believe they're going to get back to where they need to be because there is victory at the end of the day. God's won that, and they're going to come back to the Lord. You just have to be faithful in prayer. Next question says, why does it seem like everything gets worse in someone's life the more you start praying for them? Kind of goes with what we just said. When you start praying for somebody, the enemy gets scared. Because if you're not pursuing God, he's got nothing to worry about. If you're not praying, if you're not reaching out to people, he's got no reason to be worried about it. But the moment you start putting your attention on God instead of all those distractions we talked about earlier, that's when he starts really trying to do whatever he can to separate you, to isolate you, to keep you from moving forward. And if, you, if that happens in our personal lives, it does happen when we start praying for others. And what he wants to do is he wants to discourage you. 
He wants you to think just what you just what this question says, that 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 the more you pray for somebody, the harder he's going to attack them. He thinks you're going to back down. But he's the enemy's defeated. Read the end of the book. Read the back of the book. We win. We win. Jesus has all authority, he has all victory, he has all power, and when he died on the cross, not only did he make way for you to go to heaven and live and live in, in freedom in that way, he made way for you to share in that victory. And so when people, when situations, when the enemy, when, when anything you're feeling tries to tell you otherwise, you need to understand that if it doesn't line up with the word of God, it is false, it is a lie. And so if the enemy's attacking people you're praying for, pray for him more. Because he's just trying to scare you. He can't, he can't, he, he can only, the enemy can only do what we allow him to. If we allow ourselves to, to live in fear, we'll live in fear. But if we get in the word, and that's our weapon, the word is our weapon, worship is a weapon, prayer is a weapon, he, he has no power. Um, you kind of touched on what I was going to say too, but also... Um, when you look for the devil, you're going to find the devil. When you look for negative things, you're going to find negative things. So when you pray for that person, it kind of goes back to what I said before. I'm sorry if it sounds like I'm saying the same things over and over again. But you have to look for the positive in that situation. I'm praying hard for them and things are changing, but I know God is faithful. I know he's going to save them. And it says down at the bottom of this question, I've never seen a family member or a friend saved, even though I've been praying for them for such a long time. And... Um, I'm going to be real. You may not ever see that, but that doesn't mean that you didn't sow a seed. They could be out of your life and get saved at a different church in a different atmosphere in a different denomination because God is not human. He's transcendent. He can go everywhere. He can do anything. You just have to believe that he will. Next question says, is that all right? Is that good? Is that helping anybody? All right. The next question says, why does it feel like I'm always the one having to reach out? It says more, but I'm going to stop right there. If, if you feel like you're always the one having to reach out, first thing, who are your friends? Who's around you? Do you have people who are constantly pulling you down? Because, yes, then you're always going to have to be the one who's pulling them up and reaching out to them. So who are you surrounded with? And then my second question to that is, are you letting people know that you need someone to reach out and help you? Because what I see a lot of times is I see people who are walking through things. And it, let me not say that I see that. I experience that sometimes where when I'm walking through something and it's the moments when you most need somebody to put an arm over your shoulder and say, hey, I'm here with you. Hey, I've got you. Hey, I'm praying for you. That if you, don't, if you put on a facade, if you put on a mask and you pretend like everything's okay, people are going to think everything's okay. And there are so many people, you're afraid to be real. You're afraid to share that you're going through something. And we can't keep living like that. We have to be real with each other. And so if it feels like you're the only one who has to reach out, who are you surrounded by? Are you surrounded by people who are constantly needing you to reach out to them? And that's okay, if, but, but, but you just have to make sure you also have people in your lives who are reaching out to you and helping you. And who, who if you do need help, they will reach out. I hope that, I know that kind of teetered back and forth a little bit. But the second part to that is, um, why does it feel like I'm always the one having to reach out and that I have to go through hard times alone and I feel no support from friends? Quotes. Um, the third thing, so, so who, who, who's in your life? Who are you surrounded by? Secondly, um, well, let me, just go, let me just say this. 
if you feel like you, you're always walking through things alone, um, and maybe you're not really walking alone, but you just feel that way, because I've been there. I've, I've been in a room full of people that I know and love and felt like I was all by myself. You have to ask yourself, if that's how you feel, is this an attack? But also you have to ask yourself, if you're walking through that, you feel no support from anyone, you feel all alone. You have to ask yourself if, if I don't know how to say this, if it's just in your head, if it's really something you're feeling, but you really have to, you really have to just seek the Lord on that. You really do. Because here's what I'd say. If you feel all alone and that you're always, here's how I interpret this. I'm always the friend who has to help encourage somebody. I'm always feeling like I'm on empty and I'm helping fill everybody else's tank. Here's what I dare say to you. Maybe the reason you always feel like that is because God wants you to, to, to rest on, in him. Yeah. Maybe the reason you're the one who's always having to encourage others is because God actually wants to be the one who encourages you. Maybe that's, maybe, maybe God is trying to get you to realize something. Hey, people cannot fill your cup. I can fill your cup. And maybe you're looking for he's someone, and he's saying, look at me. He's the cup that doesn't run dry. Come on. The woman at the well was getting some water, and Jesus said, hey, if you knew who I was, you, you would ask for water, and you'd never thirst that's again. Right. Because God, it, 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 and that's, it's funny that modern, like it's a modern term now to say somebody's thirsty when they're hungry for attention or they're, they're thirsty. It means that they're, they're wanting something from someone else. But, but God says, hey, hey, if you just take a drink from me, if you just let me meet that need, if you just let me quench that thirst, you wouldn't be thirsty anymore. Because what I have will sustain you, it will fill you, it will protect you, it will walk with you. And maybe the reason you feel alone is because you're drawing from the wrong source. You take your iPhone charger, your Android charger, your phone charger, and you, and you, and you plug it in a source that has no real power, you're not going to get a charge. And you may sit there and you may look like it, eventually your phone's going to die. Anybody ever had a charger go out on them and they didn't know it till it was too late? But if you connect to true power... You will always be charged. And so you just need to see, what, where are you going to? Where's, what's your source if you're feeling that way? Now, I know that that's a real thing. It is real to not have people in your life who build you up. But I just say, go to the Lord. Go to the Lord, because I'd hate for any of us to be dependent on other people when, and, and deny God our attention and affection. Does that make sense? I would just say also surround yourself with a community of believers, because get in the... Get involved with your church family because, and what Darian said, reach out. Let them know that you're needing encouragement or that you need advice through a tough situation because, like, we can ask how you're doing and what you normally say is, oh, I'm doing fine, everything's good, you know. So you've got to tell people so that they can actually give you advice and be there for you and pray for you. I know I've said this before, but it, it, just to go with what you said, when you go to people and, you, you know, you, maybe you're just walking through the foyer. First of all, the foyer is a great place for fellowship. Uh, in here is a great place, place for fellowship. But to have real relationships, you've got to get with people of faith outside of church. Look, if the only time you're around people of faith is in this building, you are going to be starved for true friendship. You're going to be starved for other a community of people who love you and want to see you grow in your faith with God. But, but, but. To, to just kind of put a bow on that, you, you've got to, yes, surround yourself with people, but you definitely have to make sure your source is correct. All right, the next question um, 
this goes in. These are a couple of questions, and we're, we're getting close to 8 o'clock, very close. Um, there are a couple of questions that kind of lined up. Um, the first one that I want to read is, why does God allow people to be successful that aren't grateful? And there's a couple more questions that I just kind of put, a, uh, you know, put together. Why do bad things happen to good people? And I think that this kind of goes hand in hand, and I'll start, and you jump in whenever you, you feel something. Um, to the first question, why does God allow people to be so successful that aren't grateful? The Bible says that rain falls on the just and the unjust, and that the sun shines on the just and the unjust. And so what that means is that yet the, the just of people who are just, who are holy people, who are loving, who are grateful, who are thankful, who are good people, Yes, the sun shines on them, but God is such a good God that he also allows people who are not grateful, people who are evil, people who have issues, he allows the sun to still shine on them because guess what? He created them too, and he loves them too, and we have to check ourselves and make sure that we don't allow ourselves to become envious of people who are ungrateful because that does happen. You, you, Excuse me. You see somebody succeeding in life. Maybe you see somebody finding, uh, maybe you're believing for a spouse and you, you haven't had a person to come into your life that you feel God has led you to and you're believing for a spouse or maybe you're believing for a godly relationship and you've been waiting a lot longer than so-and-so, but now they've got this awesome relationship and you're like, God, I've been praying for this. Come on, maybe it's a promotion at work. Come on, I'm about to get up in your living room. Maybe, I don't know what it is, but something you've been praying for and believing for suddenly goes to somebody else, if we're not secure in our faith and in our relationship with God, we will become bitter, we will become envious, and we have to remember that God is such a good God that even when people don't, even when people don't deserve his mercy and his grace, he still pours it out on them. You, think about this, you weren't grateful for Jesus before you knew Jesus had died for you, but he still died for you. And so we have to understand that. And to go to the second part of the question, why do bad things happen to good people? This is one of my favorite questions. I don't think I have the answer um, completely, but this is one of my biggest questions, especially when I was uh, really young. Is I just didn't understand how a good God could let bad things happen to good people. But then I, then I got saved. I got in God's word. I heard enough sermons. I, I'd read enough. I'd, I'd prayed about it enough. And God, something quieted my, my heart on this. It, it kind of, one of those peace be still moments. I, I was listening to a sermon, I think, and, and they just somebody kind of answered this in passing, and they said, I, I don't have the answer to that question, but here's what I know. Bad things just happen. They happen to the good. They happen to the bad. Because bad things just happen. Here's why they just happen. Because we live in a fallen world. Because Adam and Eve in the garden disobeyed God. They ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what happened is the evil entered this world. Sin entered this world. Death entered this world. And until, until Jesus comes back, but actually not even until Jesus comes back, until Jesus died on the cross, there was no way out of the, the evil that had entered this world. And so the reason bad things happen to people, let's just say that, to people is because we live in a fallen world that is full of evil but Jesus. Come on, I talked about it uh, last week, but God. Come on, whatever you're facing, but God. God speaks a better word. The Bible says the blood of Jesus speaks a better word over our lives. And so we have to understand that we live in a fallen world, but we serve a good God. I hope, I hope that helps somebody. 
Gabby, you're going to add to that. This next one says, where does loneliness start? I'm going to let you. Yeah, because I have, I wrote notes on that. And the question again was, where does loneliness start? Um, well, I think what I said earlier, kind of the, the enemy promotes loneliness. That's kind of his number one attack is to get you alone. I think it starts, it's the small foxes that spoil the vine. It's just a little thing at first. Like maybe you're in a bad mood one day. You're like, I just don't want to be around. And I, I really am the worst at that. I'm an introvert through and through. So I know I've I know when I want to be alone, but also the enemy uses that because if I start to go and I'm like, I need to be alone, I start to feel like no one's there for me, no one cares for me, and I'm not trying to make fun at all. That's really how I feel. Because I have let myself be alone, I have not reached out to anybody, and I, some things I wrote, this is something that I deal with a lot, so I have some notes on it. Um, you are not alone in feeling lonely. Everybody in this room yeah. has felt lonely before, so be comforted, comforted in that if you need to tell somebody. We've all been there. Cling to the word. Don't feel your loneliness. For me, feeling my loneliness, I would feel it with like Netflix because I love to watch TV or um, music, secular music, because the devil likes to get you through music. He was the worship leader. So he really be careful with what you listen to and feed your spirit with. Um, not and That goes with even things that aren't necessarily evil. Like you're not listening to Marilyn Manson, but everything you listen to it doesn't fall to the ground. It stays here, and it could become thoughts in your head that you believe that you shouldn't believe. Um, put pressure on your loneliness with faith. How we said earlier, get in the Word, pray, worship, and speak over yourself that you're not lonely. You have a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. He will not leave you or forsake you. So that's from Joshua James. I mean, you can, Google has everything. If you don't have it memorized, type in scriptures that help loneliness. Yeah. Yeah. And it, I pulled up one. It's 25 scriptures. Speak those over yourself. It'll yeah. be your muscle memory. Speak them every day as long as you need to. Yeah. And the last part, go to church. You're here. That step's done. Give yourself <laughs> a hand. <laughs> I, I want to share just along with that about the Word of God because, look, we, this isn't, again, tonight's very different. This wasn't just a planned sermon, um, but we, we definitely need to make sure that you, we understand that the Word of God is, is alive. It is relevant. It is, a, it is needed in our lives. It's not archaic. It is not a historical book. This is alive. It is relevant to today, and we absolutely need it. I, 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 was, I was listening to something earlier this week, and uh, a guy has a book, a pastor has a book, that belonged to a great revivalist, a general in the faith named Smith Wigglesworth. And in the back of the Bible, what he got was a, one of his Bibles given to him. And he started looking in it, and he was drawn to his notes. Like, you ever get a book from somebody, and you just can't help but look at what they highlighted. And maybe if they wrote notes, and like, you may read it and like, why did they highlight that? That is not a, that's not significant. Um, but he was drawn to the things he wrote on pages that weren't Bible pages. And I had to memorize this, uh, and I, I might mess it up because I'm still working on memorizing it, but it was powerful. And, and one of the things that Smith Wigglesworth wrote in the back of his Bible was the word of God is infallible in authority. And what he said after that was you need to read it through, write it down, pray it in, 
work it out, and pass it on. And that is so powerful because we need, look, look, look. I know we get distracted by all these things, but if we don't read the Bible through, if we don't read the Word of God, and you don't have to sit down and read from Genesis to Revelations. You can do exactly what Pastor Brittany said, and you can, look, I'm dealing with loneliness. I'm dealing with lust. I'm dealing with anger. What does the Word of God say about that? And don't just read it because sometimes, and be real, sometimes you read the Word and it doesn't, it doesn't hit you right away. But let me just tell you something. Nothing worth having ever comes easy. And sometimes you have to read the word. You have to pray the word. You have to speak the word. You have to work it out. And then eventually revelation comes through that. Repetition leads to revelation. You wonder how people of faith can have such revelation in a sermon or in sharing just even a, a one-liner with you that, that you feel sets you free. It's not because they just, they're just special and they're, they're at a whole no, they're, they're actually saved and you're not saved. You ever met somebody who made you feel like you weren't saved? It's not that. All that is is they have applied repetition to the word of God and to prayer and to devotion. And repetition leads to revelation. There you go. And if it's alliterated, it's anointed. That's a preacher joke. Um, we, I'm, I'm, everybody okay? Everybody good? It's 8.07. We're going to answer maybe one or two more questions. No, that's fine. This is one that I think is just kind of a, for the, for the people who, who like this stuff. Um, I really like science. And, and this, when I saw this question, again, we don't know who wrote it, but this, this is one of my favorite questions we got. And it says this, why does it feel like you have to abandon logic and science to truly follow God? An example, evolution and old earth theory. And can those things be explained by the Bible? And can you believe in an evolution and still be a true follower or true Christian? And then they put in parentheses, I like logic and science, so I find it hard to believe that the earth is only about 2,000 years old. First off, um, I, what I think you meant to say there, if you're here tonight, is um, the 2,000 years you're referring to, that, that's from the time Jesus died and was resurrected. Uh, any any creationist, and I know some of y'all, this may not be, you can't stand science class, but any creationist doesn't believe that the world's only 2,000 years old. That, that mark is to say that's, it's 2,020, and it's been 2,020 years, give or take, since the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and it was such a, monu, a, a monumentous event that we actually, Jesus actually didn't just do it and do everything he did in the spirit, but it even changed how we recorded time. Come on, somebody. That's the God we serve. But, but, but what people who believe in new earth theory, and, and I'm saying this for the person who wrote this, is not that the earth is 2,000 years old. They actually believe the earth is about 10,000 years old. They don't believe that the earth is millions upon millions of years old and that we all evolved from a single cell organism. And I'll just say this, that'd be one of those things you obviously want to go really deep in the word and in, in some of those theories. You need to Google them, research them, because a lot of what people believe about that is one that some people believe that God guided evolution. And, and look, this is getting into some weird stuff, but, but we have to understand, yes, to answer the question, the word of God does speak to these things. But we also have to remember that God says a day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day in the presence of the Lord. And I think the reason God says this is one for us to know how omnipotent and omnipresent he is, but also for us to understand that, that we don't need to get caught up in things like that. For instance, how old the earth is is not that relevant to what Jesus did on the cross. Now, 
I, I say that as someone who literally loves that stuff, who loves creationists, and, and I actually believe that one of the first seeds that was sown into my life was by a creationist scientist uh, by the name of Kent Hoven. Um, uh, I don't believe everything he says and agree with everything he says, but he literally went around in the late 90s uh, preaching and, and teaching the new earth theory and, and, and on some of those things. So anywho, just get out there. there there's people who study that stuff, but I, I had to answer that question because that's my cup of tea. Like, <laughs> I love that stuff, and I hope that's okay. I hope it made some sense if that's not your cup of tea. Um, but definitely just trust that, that God is above all, in all, and through all. And we have to understand that there's some things we may not have answers to. And I wouldn't want to serve a God I could figure out. But also the reason we don't have answers to some of them is maybe they're not relevant to what God wants to do in our life today. We could, we could argue about them, and people do. But, but really, I think God would rather us talk to people, connect with people, love people, show the love of Jesus to people, challenge people, and encourage people rather than argue with people. And that's why I cannot stand this argue culture on Facebook and, and in the media today. Look, as Christians, we're better than that. We're bigger than that. We serve a God who does not want to see us bickering and arguing. It doesn't matter what your political views are. And what happened to actually not sharing your political views? Like, I was taught that that was tacky. But we have to go to a place where we say, look, I, I, we may not agree on this, but we got to agree on this. We have to agree on Jesus. And so, do you have anything else to add before we pray and wrap this up? I was going to say with what you were saying, they will know we're Christians by our love. Yeah. And love, love your neighbor, like Jesus says, is not arguing with somebody on Facebook. There's a difference in discussing and debating with somebody that you truly care about because they know you love them and you're just expressing your opinion. But the people on Facebook don't really understand that. They take it hatefully. And you're looking like a Christian that's spewing hate. And you have to think that in your head. You have to think about what you're doing and what you're, th what you're saying as someone who may not be in the same position as you because they don't really understand that. They just see, well, Darian's a Christian and he's on Facebook slamming me. What a Christian he is. So you kind of have to, I used you as an example. I know you don't do that, but. You just have to think about that. Uh, another thing that goes with that is you, you be careful as a Christian. At, because think about this. If there are certain things you do, the Bible says, Apostle uh, Paul says, there are, everything is permissible to me. But not all things are good. Not all things are of a benefit. Because you, just because you can do something, you can go sit at a bar. Maybe you can have a drink. The Bible does not say alcohol is sin. The Bible says drunkenness is sin. And so maybe you can handle that. But here's what I'd submit to you, and it's what Paul said. It's permissible to us. We can do those things, but do they bear witness to God? And will they cause us to be a stumbling block to our brother or sister? And so Christians, we, we, can, we can have political views and we can have opinions. And there's entire sects of, of religion that are devoted to apologetics. But we have to understand that arguing is not how you reach people. You, if they're arguing with you, they're trying to prove you wrong, and you're trying to prove them wrong. You're not going to get Jesus in there. And I'm, not, I'm talking, this is separate from correcting people who challenge you. Uh, there's a place and time for rebuke, correction, and all those things. But, but if, and when a lot of the questions were on how to share your faith and reach people and invite people, you're not going to do it offending them. Now, the word is offensive, but that's, that's a, we're talking about something different, okay? And so... Um, I think on that note, we ought to pray.
Let's, let's stand up all over the room.